Hello and welcome to the Saturday Down South podcast. He's Chris Marler. I'm Kamara Marler. Today we have a just meant more. It is 2006 South Carolina against number six Florida. More importantly, Steve Spurrier, the HBC, goes back to the swamp. Now you're wincing because, and and we we need to get this out there. We have watched better full games than this one. We have. Yeah. We're not going to recommend that you watch the first three quarters of this game because it is a grind, and I found that out the hard way. To say the least? And so I was wincing. I wasn't wincing. I was smiling. That's just how I, my face looks. Um, <laughs> because it, it was his birthday this week. This is true. So 75. Happy birthday. HBD, HBC. Um, and this, to be fair, this game has been recommended from people for a while now. Like Bobby Burchens, give him a shout out. Uh, he, he was like, you guys should do this 2006 game. And I remember this game being like epic because I remember watching it, uh, like like all of them, you know what I mean? And, and it was, from what I remembered, it was fantastic. It was like, it was an awesome game to watch. Then I uh, watched it and I was wrong. It was like just the last, last couple minutes. But it's like it Titanic. A- Right, exactly. Like, you don't need to watch the first four hours of it. Like, you're going to be good. In fact, there is not a full game version other than, I think somebody had, like, the the hour and 15 minute, which for this game is perfect. Yeah. I I hate the the skip ahead. I I try and watch a game in its entirety whenever we do these things. If it's anything less than, like, two hours and 30 minutes, I'm not going to spend my time on it because I like hearing the commentary. I like when Vern has these little in-between moments and stuff like that. And you still got that from watching this which was good but this was a condensed game if you look for it on youtube you'll find the hour and 15 minute version of it and quite frankly that's all we need because about half of it is just spent on the fourth quarter because that's really like you you need to see the beginning you need to see when spurrier comes back into the swamp and that reaction and that's cool and then the way this game ends spoiler alert florida (laughs) in its pursuit of a national championship wins this game but we will go over later how it ends and why yeah. it was so nif- so significant because without that you probably don't remember this game right no that's that's all i remember from that game and yeah. and so i remember like the, the players and the names and all that kind of stuff for sure um it's funny that you mentioned like the the broadcast stuff and like the way you want to consume it and, and watch it because you know that's exactly how i feel about it is that i don't like for the most part yeah i'd rather just watch them like skip ahead skip ahead but you do miss like so many of these moments. Like it's hard to go back and watch like a three and a half hour game, but it's it's kind of worth it. If it's kind of worth it just so you could you could hear Vern, just yes. like, just for Vern. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. This game, though, like we said, it is not the most thrilling back and forth. You know, we did Georgia LSU a couple weeks ago in this game that had just offense galore. This was not that in no. the slightest, <laughs> but. The storyline going in was one that was one of the best, I think, for, in terms of a pregame storyline of the 21st century that we've had in the SEC, at least for a regular season game. Spurrier going back to the swamp. So this moment, I can imagine for Florida fans, is kind of like how I felt as a Bulls fan growing mm-hmm. up and watching MJ come back to the United Center wearing a Wizards jersey. I remember exactly when that was. It was a Saturday afternoon, and I was just watching that and thinking this uh, isn't reality this is like some weird spin-off movie or something that I, i'm watching right also, now that just uh, I, I didn't like it didn't feel right that also feels like the worst possible day for a basketball game like, saturday like, afternoon for the nba yeah it's like oh yeah like there's like no less like thrilling 
like opposite a prime time game than like, oh yeah, you know, let's play it Saturday at three. You guys free after that? I gotta take the kids uh, to soccer practice in the morning. We can, we can play a game after that. And it was significant because the Bulls were so bad and being on like, a, it was I think it was a, an ABC game or something like that because yeah. it was MJ coming back. But it was one of those things that you watch it because of this and you want right. to see this reaction. You want to see how do Florida fans embrace Spurrier? How does he handle the emotions of all this? That's not the only reason that we're talking about this, but it was the reason that it got a national audience. Because without that, this game is not a 3.30 CBS game. Florida is favored yeah. by nearly two touchdowns in this game, and it turns out to be this great down-to-the-wire game where even in the fourth quarter, you're kind of forgetting about the big storyline, and you're like, hey, Florida needs to win this game to keep its national championship hopes alive, and this is pretty important. Yeah, agreed. So, it, like, And I, they had already lost... One they game. lost to Auburn, yes. Okay, and so and that was like Auburn was ranked number two in the in the country at some point that year. And and I'm trying to think too, this was this was like, I didn't I didn't realize this was such a game late in the season. I thought this was like October or something like early on. This was like late November. I think this was this was mid November, mm-hmm. I think, or like the second weekend of November, something right. like that. But we had we had got this build up to this game because there was also a big development in college football. Yeah. And you had Rutgers take down Louisville on the Thursday <laughs> night that week, and that was the lead in because Louisville was sitting there at number three in the BCS rankings, and Florida was at number four in the BCS rankings, number six in the AP poll. But right. the BCS rankings were what mattered. And all of a sudden, because Michigan and Ohio State were one and two, and you knew that they were going to face each other at the end of the year by process of elimination, if Florida kept winning and kept winning convincingly, they were going to have a chance to play for a national championship. But they were even talking about style points and how right. important that was in a game like this. And, you know, Gary said that repeatedly. But this game ends up being, you know, a much different feel. And South Carolina, a team that had played actually really well against quality competition that year, coming off two nail-biter losses, even though South Carolina is sitting there at 5-4, and four, year two of the Spurrier era, it still felt big for that team. And that yeah. defense showed up ready to play. I, so, and that's another thing, too, is like we, we kind of, I always remember South Carolina teams with Spurrier, especially later on, like, as having so many weapons on, not so many weapons, but they had, like, always had weapons on offense, like Lattimore and Jeffrey and all that kind of stuff. This team was not that. This team was, you really you really forget, like, this This South Carolina program is a, a team or a program that was removed, like, five years removed from zero wins in a season. 0-11. And then went zero and ten. Like they they lost twenty one straight games. So like it was it's just so it's it's kind of crazy to me that that you know they've come so far so fast and, and getting Spurrier to go there. Um, you know, I, like I, I thought like before we before we actually watched the the game, I thought I remembered like South Carolina being like one of those years where it's like they're eight and two or they're you know they're, they're like at least ranked. And I forgot how just out of out of like they're just such an afterthought for for the SEC. They did win three games in a row after this to finish off the season. Right. But you got to remember, this is this is year 15 of South Carolina in the SEC. And to that point, they'd only had two seasons of eight-plus wins. And this ends up being their third in year two of the Spurrier era. They're also working against this whole... Yeah, that's it. That's, that's not very many. They've had, they've had, ten, they've had five ten-win seasons in their entire program history. And, I mean, and how many of them were under Spurrier? Four? Yeah, is that right? So, I mean, yeah, 
Um, that's a question for a stump marler, maybe. Yes, that's a good point. Um, had never won in the swamp as well. That's that's also the thing that they're, yeah. they're trying to overcome this hurdle. And Urban Meyer, meanwhile, coach at Florida, also in year two, mm-hmm. he had never lost at home. So this game did have a few elements working in its favor where it could bring in the average person. That's mm-hmm. my way of saying hopefully it's not just South Carolina yeah. and Florida fans who are listening to this right now. All right. Before we get to the cast, the directors, all those different things, Marler, tell us about our friends <laughs> at Bet Online, who you just keep winning more and more money with playing poker. I just also, I, 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 I don't hate to brag. I, I really don't. So I'm, I'm not going to say that I hate to brag. But I, I told Connor this off air, and, and this, is the, this is the strongest flex I'll ever make on anybody. <laughs> Yesterday I won $1,038 in a poker tournament while I was riding a Peloton. Think, just think about that, guys. And I set a personal best on the Peloton. And it was like 169 points or whatever it would be. Nice. So all in all, banner day for me yesterday. Um, but you, as well, should go all over to our good friends at betonline.ag. Set up an account today. The NFL draft has come and gone. Um, so you can't do their prop bets on that. You can still bet on table tennis. Mm. Still bet on table tennis. People will judge you for that, but you definitely can do it. Um, and there's plenty of other things you can still gamble on. So go to betonline.ag today. Um, this is, you know, just, I, I was kind of skeptical at first about how, because a lot of those sites, you, you, if you win, it might take a while to get your money, and then you have to, you know, there's this whole long process. I got my check within two days. Boom. Deposit in the bank. Today, we're good to go. Good to go. You know what they should do for the bull stock is do an over-under for F-bombs dropped on the ESPN version. It's I'm, a lot. I'm here for it. I, I'm <laughs> counting them out every time. I think there was three in episodes one and two. I think there was two from MJ, one from Pippen. I, 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 I was just surprised. Like, I, I don't want to sound old, but when did they start doing that? Like, I, I know they've done it on some cable. Playmakers. Still... That's when they started doing that. What is Playmakers? What is Playmakers? Like the show? Oh, yeah. Playmakers, the <laughs> show. Omar the ESPN original. Yes, it was with Omar. Very good memory. <laughs> okay, so oh, that I remember watching that, and I was like, this is, I was like 15, and so I thought this was going to be like, oh, this is what this is like Friday Night Lights before Friday Night Lights, or this was going to be like a cool football show. And it was like Ballers I, before Ballers. Yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly. And I remember watching it at one point, and I was like, I don't know if this is real, Dad. And, and then Omar Gooding <laughs> left the locker room at halftime to go smoke crack. And I was like, this mm-hmm. isn't real at all. So, <laughs> anyway. Um, all right, let's bring it back. I think that came out right around, like, 2006. No, that was, that was, no, it was like, like 2002. 2006. Yeah. Gosh, that yeah. was a long time ago. Really mm-hmm. long time ago. Okay, let's start with the directors. The HBC, Steve Spurrier. No matter what he said, and he tried to downplay it as much as possible, this had to be awkward because he knew the day that he agreed to become the next coach at South Carolina, he knew that this day was going to come and it was going to be a little bit of an emotional hurdle for him to get mm-hmm. through because he was Florida. I mean, he built Florida. As he always will tell you, he is the reason that Florida had swagger to begin Still with. Does. Not brought swagger back to. Right. But, I mean, and it's weird to even hear them say on the broadcast Steve Spurrier back at the place, you know, the program, he brought their only national title. Like that mm-hmm. at that point, because they hadn't won the national title yet in 2006, hadn't won the national title yet in 2008. So you're still so indebted to this guy as a Florida fan because the Urban Meyer era hadn't necessarily happened yet. And understandably so, there is this sentimental attachment. And when he walks in, yeah, Florida fans are, are on their feet. There's not this feeling of, of animosity, despite the fact that. 
Spurrier, when he left, I was like, you know, I've just kind of had enough of this. Kind of had enough yeah. of being in, in the fishbowl, so to speak. And it's interesting because I don't know if there are many people who could get away with doing that. And then coming back five years later and getting that kind of reception, it yeah, speaks Nick, to who Spurrier was. Nick Saban didn't get that at LSU. And, it, and if you think that that's like a stretch in terms of how each fan base should have received them, Nick's, again, LSU had three winning seasons total in the 11 years prior to Saban. And then within four years, he won a national title. So the thing with Spurrier, it's funny that you, you say all that because it's, it's spot on, but it's also the total, total antithesis of how South Carolina fans, some South Carolina fans view him and how he left South Carolina. And that's very interesting as well. And at the time, South Carolina rolled out the red carpet for Spurrier, and it was a big-time get to be able to replace Lou Holtz. And we also forget, too, we should also maybe make mention of the whole, like, brawl thing that happened at the end of 2004 with Clemson. Oh, yeah! Them. They did, like, a self-imposed bull ban. And, I mean, that, that was a rough, rough situation for they him to all of a sudden inherit They down that. the hill. They, I mean, that, like, that is a rivalry, folks. I've been in some fights before, and I, I tell you what. I don't know that I don't know everything about fighting, but I can tell you one place you don't want to be necessarily is at the bottom of a hill waiting for people who are just gaining momentum running at you to hit you in the face. Uh, th- that was that was nuts, man. People take, taking their helmets off and swinging them and whew. That was like the same week too as the Malice at the Palace. Oh, was it really? Yeah, ironically. Oh my god. Enough. That, God, all of the think pieces, wasn't around then. Yeah, can you imagine all the think pieces <laughs> of sports are in the gutter, man? Right, right after all, like those two very isolated incidents happen, and people are like freaking out. Sports are not the same. I, I, I guarantee you, there would have been so many of our Facebook timelines. This would have been middle-aged dudes named Gary with like the uh, profile pic of the phone, like selfie taken right under their nose and in their like, car. They have to be right. <laughs> yeah, exactly with sunglasses on for whatever yep. reason, and then uh, and just being like. I can't believe this. This is, you know what? We just ban the whole season. Ban the whole. This is, I told you, everything's going to end soon. The worst. And, and then some line about nobody plays like a team like the Boston Celtics did. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> definitely part of that. Right? <laughs> that's good. Um, but Spurrier is coming back uh, to Florida, even though he, as he makes mention of, he says, you know, I've already been back twice. Since since he's been at South Carolina, he yeah. was back for the the ten year anniversary of the '96 national title team. He was also one of the four original inductees to Florida's Ring of Honor. So he tried to downplay it as much as possible, yeah. but it's inevitable when you come back to a big time program like that. We're going to talk about it. That's what all the conversation is going to be focused on, and especially, might I add, when we think it's not going to be a good game, that is the storyline, and that's what's going to get the most coverage. Yeah, Spurrier's always done a pretty good job of that, of trying to like balance those and be respectful of, of each, uh, I don't want to say each program, but you know what I'm saying. Like, like he did that while it's at South Carolina and with Florida, and, and I feel like he's always, he might not have left in the best ways at each each place, but he's done a, a good job, I think, of trying to like at least keep those like those relationships afterwards. You know where he did leave pretty well? The Orlando Apollos. He left with a ring. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't, yes, don't you did. forget it, because he won't let you. <laughs> no, he will not. Urban Meyer, year two at Florida. He had actually lost to South Carolina in 2005, so a little bit of a revenge game, too. I mean, he had lost to Spurrier already, lost year one of the Spurrier era. And, you know, he's going for, Florida's going for their first BCS Bowl since 2001, which was Spurrier's last Mm -hmm. year, of course, at Florida. We covered that in the adjustment more that we did, the Florida-Tennessee game, which was Spurrier's last game in the Swamp, even though we didn't know it at the time. 
I just kept thinking throughout watching this, and I, I always think of this with Urban. He looks so young in yeah. these Florida days. I mean, he, he doesn't so even give. He doesn't even look 42, which is his actual age. If I had to guess an age for him, I'd say like 35, 36. I, that's like, God, I feel old. That 42 is such a young age to be the head coach of a, a major college program like that. And Kirby's 44. Yeah, so he's not as good as Urban, I guess that's what you're saying. Yeah, speaking of, speaking of great hair. <laughs> <laughs> Urban doesn't have any gray hair yet. He's it, it, His hair, I don't think it's necessarily dyed either because he, he doesn't necessarily shy away from the, the salt and pepper and then full-on yeah. pepper look later on. So I don't think he's using any PEDs when it comes to his hair color. I, You know what? I love, I love our coach, so I'll just – but – don't dye your hair, guys. Just don't dye your hair. It just it, you see, you ever, like, I see this all the time when I'm like walking like at the gym, like where I well, I used to work out at LA Fitness. You see these older dudes. One, it's always weird seeing a ripped older dude. Like, why do you have a vein coming out of your arm like all the way down? Squat bro? goals. Just get get a grandchild. Like, what are you doing? And so squat goals. So, but then like when they have that weird like thinning hair, but it's like painted black. Anyway, we're off topic. My bad. Go ahead. Speaking of great hair as well, Ron Zook. Um, Urban, had to, <laughs> Urban had to clean up that mess, and it was a mess. Lost six home games in three years, Ron Zook did. Spurrier lost five and 12, so that'll just make you think about it. But it's we go back to the you never want to be the guy to replace the guy. Right. You never want to do that, and that's a little bit what Zook fell victim to. Now, I think it would surprise some people to, to realize, hey, look, he only spent three seasons at Florida, but they actually finished in the coaches poll all three of those years. I think they were yeah. 25, 24, 25, something like that. But he also had that fight, too, with the fraternity, and that was really awkward, and that fallout. Ron Zook was just not a fit at Florida. And so Urban, though is still tasked with getting Florida to the level that fans thought Spurrier left it at. And so yeah. in this second year, because year one is a little bit, you know, touch and go, nine-win season, all right, good, but not, you know, the level that Florida fans have become accustomed to. And so Urban is still trying to establish this culture at Florida. And he's, you know, two years removed from this great season at Utah, of course, that we remember, but... He's still trying to establish who he is. I mean, he right. gets a little bit of outshadowed, which is kind of you know crazy to think about because of all the drama surrounding Spurrier in this game. But Urban is still trying to establish himself as one of the premier premier coaches in college football. Yeah, it, it's it's odd to think of that too because like that two thousand he has such a great career and and he's such a good coach. That 2004 season with Utah just goes so unnoticed. It really does. And it really is an incredible year. Like, like the, the numbers you brought up on a, a pod a couple weeks ago about how him having, what was it? Like, they beat five Power Five teams. or They killed five, them. They killed yeah. all of them. So, and he, he's always, like, I remember when, when I was, like, legit worried about how he might be, like, just, like, Saban might not be the best coach in college football. Like, like it might be Urban Meyer. I don't know what I was thinking. But, um... Urban well, you Meyer, thought that in 2014, were you saying? I maybe I, I forgot what year it was, but it was like I just remember hearing or like reading like stuff afterwards about how he like does his practices and, and just the attention to detail and like how they like start every single practice with like a, a special teams day and like or this, like special teams work and it just he's a he's a really really good coach. I assumed Urban Meyer was going to be what Saban is at Alabama. I think watching college football back in 2006 2007. 
it felt like he was going to be there for 20 years. Yeah. He was going to win a ton of national championships. And Florida was going to be this yearly juggernaut that we talk about being preseason number one or preseason number two. And that was right. just going to be a given. And it took a little bit. Maybe you know 2008 was when it was like, all right, this guy has it made in the shade. He's recruiting at such an elite level. And then it ended so suddenly. And everybody remembers the fallout of all of that. Well, they also, you got to think too, 2005, I know we touched on it briefly, but like, 2005, they were ranked in the top five in the country. Like and then early in the had year. a tough, tough end, a tough yeah. uh, middle part of the season, I believe it was. Yeah, when the October 1st happened, I'm not going to tell you about the game, but yeah. Mm-hmm. People forget. The A-listers. Chris Leak, who I think watching this back, it reminded me he's a little bit Aaron Murray before Aaron Murray. He, four, yeah. Four-year starter, um, a guy who wasn't impressing next level scouts with his skill set. Let's just say that. No, I forgot. I, I didn't realize. Chris Leak has the prettiest eyes and threw the prettiest ball in the history of college football. I don't know right? how that sounds. He like, I mean, it was hard to even watch the game. It was hard to watch the game because I kept getting lost in his eyes the whole time. And then that spiral, it just, oh my, it was, it was beautiful. You know what? Chris Leak threw a football the way Tom Glavin threw a fastball. It's just like this perfect, fluid mechanics, and then just like spot up, spot up every single time. Definitely forgot that he had. Very little arm strength. I did not remember that. Very little. People forget yeah. Chris Leak threw a better ball than Peyton Manning in terms yeah. of the spiral. In terms of the spiral. Uh, Manning just a little bit more accurate. But I always remember thinking Chris Leak handled the Tebow stuff really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, imagine being a senior quarterback, a four-year starter. You're from the previous regime. And everyone is in love with Tebow. I mean, there were dudes that were in the front row of that game with their shirts off, with Tebow painted on their chest already. For this freshman guy who never had a career start, and he's coming in and essentially doing what Justin Fields did at Georgia during that 2018 season, but a better version of that, I I would argue, in terms of the way that he was used with Florida. It was the hype around... Tim Tebow was way more than Justin Fields, which is, it sounds weird because Fields was like the number one overall player in the country and this five star. And, and, and I know Georgia fans were very excited about him, but like it was not like this. The, the Tebow thing was like, like a rock star. It was, it was everyone wanted Tebow, like not necessarily to start, but couldn't get enough of him like in, in like coming into games, like on short yard situations. And you're right, part of that is because of like the play calling and like they put him in a much better spot. But the Justin Fields thing, I mean, people, Georgia was coming off that national title run, so they still had what they thought was like, we still got a quarterback, a freshman five-star that led us to the national title already. This was like, <laughs> like everyone wanted Tebow. And Chris Leak, meanwhile, in this game, passed Andy Werfel to become Florida's all-time leading passer. Oh, by the way, no big deal. Um, but in this game, he shows you why, okay, the ceiling just is not there because – he has some throws in this game that he gets away with, one of which he doesn't because he had, he had a bad interception. But yeah. throwing back across his body the opposite side of the field, at that one time, the, the touchdown pass that he threw to Dallas Baker, where he just totally <laughs> underthrows him. I mean, he got bailed out. He got bailed out so badly. It should have been the easiest walking touchdown ever, and he babied this football. And when Dallas Baker, they said on the broadcast that he's like, he has seven yards on the next closest defensive back. It was like three or four. Yeah, he's it wasn't wide like open. Seven. He was wide freaking open. And Chris Leak underthrows him, and this ball should have been picked. And Dallas yeah. Baker makes a nice tip up to himself. But, like, there were moments in that game where you just are reminded that, okay, Chris Leak, he's got great numbers. Yeah. But the talent is just not on that elite level. No, and it was, it was, uh, it's weird to think about, too, because he was a, he was a pretty, High like rate of recruit. I think he was, I don't think he's a five star. I think he's a four star. But he like 
he had the same he he just had like one of those high school careers that like just are like legendary of like he yep. broke every north like whatever and, and again he threw like the prettiest ball but it was yeah it was it was not like the, him and Blake Mitchell and I like Blake Mitchell I didn't expect a lot out of Blake Mitchell was like a three star from Lagrange. Blake I, Mitchell is the most mediocre, like nondescript quarterback in the history of it. Just meant more podcasts that we. Yeah, done. I thought you were about to say college football. I got really excited there. No, 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 just in the ones that we've done. Blake Mitchell is, yeah, he he is the epitome of average. I mean, he he just, I mean, I, I don't, and they also had Chris Smelly, and I remember Chris Smelly played a little bit as a freshman. I forgot where he, he's from, Alabama. His brother played at Bama, but like, but Bra- yeah, Chris, wait, not Chris Smelly. I'm sorry. Um, Blake Mitchell, when he came in, he was—he might even been a four-star. He was like, they—they they were excited about him, and maybe it's just because that's where the, the state of the program was at the time. But Could be. man, did he disappoint! Man, did he disappoint! <laughs> Tebow, real quick, we're—we're we're gonna talk more Tebow as well. But in this game, you forget—he actually didn't even complete a pass in this game. He should yeah. have. He missed a wide-open rollout on a third and two play oh. that should have been a touchdown. I mean, just botched this throw. Wasn't the touch throw that you that you need your quarterback in that spot to make. Chris Leak probably makes that throw, actually. That's a little bit more built yep. to his skill set. But they brought in Tebow because every time he comes out, you expect the run. And he also did have the go-ahead touchdown run in this game. Spoiler alert, we're going to talk more about that later. You just love the feeling, though, whenever he enters the game. It is electric. It is such a cool thing to go back and watch. And the crowd just gets hyped because yeah. it's almost like when – and you've seen this in years past, when you stick a, a quarterback out at receiver or something like that, and the crowd just knows that something is about to happen. Yeah. And it always felt like whenever Tebow would go in, and it was usually in the red zone, not exclusively, but when you felt like Tebow was going to go in, something was going to happen. It was just that jolt of energy, yeah. and it made the crowd so much more excited than watching Chris Leak for the fourth year in a row. Yeah, I think, well, that's a good way to put it. it it's weird, too, because I, I said that thing about the rock star, because it's like, it wasn't just it wasn't just Florida fans. Like the whole country was like wrapped up in this. And it was, I, I was really consumed by it. I remember being very very excited every time Tebow was going in in 2006. It was a big deal. I, I mean, so I remember watching his his like announcement ceremony at my mom's. Uh, I think they're called a parsonage. It's like when you live on campus at a church or something like that. This house was like as big as Shaq's shoe. It was ridiculous. It was it was the smallest house ever. But like I remember, like, I don't know why he just this magnetic dude, the like. Everyone in the country knew who Tim Tebow was, and he I, he barely played. Not barely played, but he didn't have that many significant, I don't know, like numbers or anything like that or stats. I mean, it was all Chris Leak for pretty much on the offense. But he did stuff when he came in. It was like the jump pass, and he did stuff mm-hmm. like, you know, and he's spoiler alert, he scores the game winning touchdown in this game. Right. So Tebow um, also like Jeremy Pruitt, a star of the hit MTV show Two Days. People forget that. The very first episode when they were playing that game on ESPN, Alex's responsibility is to shut down this big-time quarterback who, oh, by the way, is Tim Tebow. I remember that was the first time that I, like, I kind of, I kind of figured out, like, connected the dots there. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's the same guy from, from that show that I watched. Okay. Um, Reggie Nelson, the Florida safety who was voted team MVP this year. Gary said on the broadcast that he was the most valuable player in the SEC. Didn't have the biggest of games per se, um, but a hard-hitting dude. All-time great nickname as well, the Eraser. Oh, yeah, that's, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. I mean, that, that's that tough. Is, that's imposing. Um, I don't know that he exists in this same role in 2020 with all the targeting stuff that gets called and stuff like that. If you have a reputation for that, Nelson's the type of guy where 
they're going to call that on you. It's like a, a sports car going 20. They're going to call you yeah. for speeding just because it looks like it, even though you might not necessarily be delivering that hit. But he would have so many targeting calls <laughs> if you played in college football in 2020. Yeah, he didn't shy away from contact, that's for sure. It, it, it's fun It's fun to go back, but like, because you hear people say, like, especially with basketball, you always hear it like, no way LeBron would have lasted in the 80s. Like, okay. It's because, I mean, like, yeah, well, the guy with glasses who would work at a Jiffy Lube now also was, like, guarding him and just, like, elbowing people nonstop. Football that we think of, like, being so hard-hitting and, like, coming for your head and, and unsafe, it wasn't even that long ago that this stuff was allowed. Yeah. There was, like, multi- there were multiple um, horse collars in this game that I was like, it's going to break his yeah. leg. <laughs> they didn't even know what to call it either. No. They, Gary called it the, the Roy Williams tackle or something like that. Because horses like, weren't invented yet. So true. that's why. Um, all, yeah, did Roy Williams break his leg off that? I think he did. I it was a serious did. injury. It was pretty bad. I remember that being the first time that the NFL was like, we should come up with yeah. something to prevent this because this isn't ideal. Um, Nelson had a nice 12-year career in the NFL, though. For, former first-round guy. Only one of the Florida nine draft picks in 2007 who made it to a Pro Bowl. Oh. One of the guys in that 2007 Florida draft class, another guy who was picked in the first round, a guy who becomes very well known at the end of this game, Jarvis Moss, the Florida defensive end who blocked not one, but two kicks in this game. I thought which it was three. Is, uh, no, he gets, credit, he gets credit for two the two okay. blocks in this game. Pretty tough thing to do. Um not something you see every day, especially, you know, game on the line in a 17-16 to 16 game to be able to make that claim. But All-American this season, first-round pick, can't help but wonder how much a game like this helps with that. Just having a couple of nice, really nice moments. He's a physical freak, don't get me yeah. wrong, all those things, but probably helps his draft stock a little bit, I'm going to guess. It's, it's funny to me, like, how something that seems like that little can become so big. Like, like it, like it, I don't say like blocking a field goal changes, changes like, you know, honestly, I, I feel like if, if you're a, like Derek Brown, didn't Derek Brown or Marlon Davidson, didn't Marlon they Davidson. block, Marlon Davidson blocked like, like two or three kicks this year. Remember Ashawn Robinson, like jumped over a dude, then jumped back up to block a field goal like, against LSU. Well, sure. Um, Jarvis Moss, who's, oh, so Lorenzo Carter, it's, it's funny how like, Doing something this incredibly athletic can can really not like change everyone's perception of you, but like kind of mold you into this even bigger yeah. like you know love affair with like your athleticism and, and help you in the draft more than ever because this dude his draft his draft stock skyrocketed after this. We will get to him a couple more times later. South Carolina. I only have one A-lister for South Carolina. This is not a, a star-studded team. You might have more, but the obvious one is Sidney Rice. The South Carolina receiver who yeah. had a better college career than I probably gave him credit for, had 1,100 yards, 13 touchdowns as a redshirt freshman in 2005, and then 2006, another 1,000 yards, double-digit touchdown season. It looks like Blake Mitchell, if he wanted to, could have just hit him on slants all day. And he for whatever to. reason, he didn't choose to do that, and you're like, these Florida receivers can't stick with him one-on-one. This would probably be your best source of offense, but for whatever reason, I don't know why you're not doing that right now. Uh, yeah. Hey, Blake, hit me on a slant. I'm going to run a slant. No, no, I'm going to do that thing where I drop back, and the running back just goes completely horizontal to me, mm-hmm. and, and I'm just going to hit him out of the backfield. He did that play like 78 times in this game. Oh, gosh. Just just give it to Sidney Rice. The guy's going to catch the ball. All right, go deep. I'll underthrow you. I got you. <laughs> In just two seasons, broke the program record for receiving touchdowns. He's now tied with Alshon Jeffrey. First offensive player of the Spurrier era, 
who was drafted. Fun oh. fact. Yeah. Uh, and actually played with Percy Harbin in Minnesota and Seattle. So okay. that brings us to the breakout performers because, yes, Percy Harbin, big-time recruit. Big, big, big-time recruit. But to this game, he's, he's, you know, he's just a freshman at this point. Right. Hadn't really had that breakout game yet. And in fact, in the previous five games leading up to this, he had total three catches for 26 yards, also at 15 carries for 114 yards. But in this game, he was good. And yeah. he was clearly Florida's best weapon and a perfect, perfect fit for the H-back role in Urban Meyer's system. He was the, the scariest thing about Percy Harvins, I remember. Him coming in being such a just an absolutely electric athlete. Like it was like a, a smaller. I thought he was gonna be just like a, a smaller, almost more like scat back kind of ish Reggie Bush. Like he wasn't as big I thought as Reggie Bush. And then he was. I think he sat out for the 2008 SEC championship game. And he was on the sidelines and he was just in a jersey. And his arms were so big. And I was talking to one of my buddies who's a Florida fan. I was like. I had no idea, like, like that dude is huge. I had no idea he was, like, he was like Jack. I was just, like, a small dude. And he was, like, no, he benches, like, over 405. I was, like, oh, what? Like, I, like I just casually drops that in. It's, like, so. 5'9", 185. Just right, exactly. 400 pounds, yeah. no big deal. Me too, man. Yeah. Um, he, it looks like he could just run the drag route all day. He all could day. Get to, he could get to the edge. He had that start and stop. But you see, even in this game, already battling injuries. Yeah. And that is of course, been the story of his career with the migraines and just battling various ailments throughout his time. We have more Percy Harvin stuff to hit on later. Yeah. Do not worry. The other Mike Davis running back at South Carolina, breakout performer in this game. If you Google Mike Davis, South Carolina running back, you're going to confuse yourself because, of course, there were two. There's one who's still, I think, active in the NFL uh, yeah. as well. Not the one who was from Stone Mountain, Georgia, might oh. I add. I, yes. So I, I am I am now years old that I knew that. I, I, I just yes. assumed they were the same person. Different human beings. Yeah. Different human beings. Same thing um, with Florida receivers. There's, I've, I swear to God, there's been like 18 Andre or Antonio Caldwells. Uh, yes. Or Callaways. Yes. I think they've all been the same person. 100%. Yeah. Uh, like, like Auburn with the K. Same, there same you go. thing. Uh, Mike Davis, though, in this game, he had a season-high 94 rushing yards, two rushing touchdowns, only touchdowns scored for South Carolina on this day because Blake Mitchell is so mediocre. I cannot emphasize that enough. Um, but, yeah, still wasn't the best Mike yeah. Davis running back under Spurrier at South Carolina. Jasper Brinkley, this is something that I know you're going to get fired up about. The linebacker from South Carolina who was a first-year starter, but he's just everywhere. Didn't get a ton everywhere. of Everywhere. Didn't get a ton of mentions necessarily in this game, at least on the broadcast that we watched, which is condensed to an hour and 15 minutes. But he had twice as many tackles as any South Carolina player in 2006, 107 tackles. Had a career-high 13 tackles in this game, a couple TFLs. He had a sack. But tell us why Jasper (laughs) Brinkley is somebody that you always remember. I was like halfway through the second quarter, and then it hit me. I was like, oh, my God. Or I'm sorry, halfway through the first quarter, and then it hit me. I was like... Is this the Jasper and Casper Brinkley years? Because, mm-hmm. so, first off, Jasper and Casper is the greatest name for a set of twins ever. Those guys and, need to be a wrestling tag team duo, and if they're not, something has gone horribly wrong. Right, exactly. So And so, they went to Georgia Military College, which is in Milledgeville, Georgia. Which And so, I went to Georgia College and State University, which is in Milledgeville. And uh, at the time, again, like, I, I kept up with recruiting pretty, pretty heavily, and, and I remember hearing about, Jasper and Casper Brinkley, and because they were like right down the road, 
And and I remember one day we were playing basketball out at the uh, um, Bobcat Village, which is like the apartments we lived at. And we're sitting there playing, and these two huge, just yoked black guys walk up, and they wanted to play. And I was like, well, I'm, hopefully I'm going to get put on their team. And, uh, and I remember one of them took his shirt off, and he like just just shredded, just absolutely shredded. And we were like inter- introducing ourselves, like, hey, I'm Chris. And, uh, and he was like, I'm Jasper. And I was like, J- okay. And then I look over the other one, and I go, are you Casper? <laughs> and, my, and I said it with like so much uncertainty in my voice. And my friends were like, like Chris, stop. Don't make us look like uncool. And he's like, yeah. I was like, I know you guys. And so we played basketball with them, and then they just dunked all over us. It was awful. How many times have you ever had to say that sentence? How many times in the history of mankind has this sentence, are you Casper, ever yeah. said? Just, yeah, only when in my nightmares, I guess. Like, that was, <laughs> are you Casper? It was ridiculous. I bet Spurrier messed that up all the time. All practice. the time. Casper, Casper. 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 Yo, get on over here. They're really good, though. Combined for 150 yeah. tackles, 26 and a half TFLs, 12 sacks. They were the, the heart and soul in the middle of that South Carolina defense. Prominent extras. Jared Cook, freshman tight end at South Carolina. I'm pretty sure that he is the only player from this game who is still active in the NFL. I could be wrong on that. I So I didn't realize he, he graduated that long ago. I thought that was like a... Like, we messed that up somehow. That, that, goodness, that is a career. He's been in the NFL for over a decade now at this point, which is well, crazy. Well, if you're a about. tight end, apparently you can just retire and still get traded. So that's a, that's a thing. Yeah, shout out to Gronk. I don't know how you do that, but uh, Jared Cook still getting those still getting those checks in the NFL. Love it. Derek Harvey, Florida defensive end, another one of these first-round guys, number eight overall in 2008. He was MVP of the national championship that year mm-hmm. as well, but he was out of this game. They yeah. was was banged up in this game, and I don't want to say Florida needed him because Florida was loaded in the front seven. I mean, absolutely loaded. But probably would have been nice to have Derek Harvey. Um, just a, another kind of embarrassment of riches for yeah. this Florida defense. This was, I mean, that's the best way to put it too. Is an embarrassment of riches. There was so much talent on this team. It's just so much talent. Brandon Spikes, freshman linebacker, yeah. is a rotational guy in this right. game. <laughs> Recorded his first career TFL in this game as there well. I mean, that front seven had four all, or yeah, I think three or four all SEC guys because Ray McDonald, Earl Everett, uh, Brandon Siler. Yeah, because Siler went down in this game and was kind of in and out, and that was what was putting Spikes into this game. But he went off as a sophomore. I forget that that Spikes wasn't just this immediate guy who was a household name. They, they even kind of described him on the broadcast, like a guy, or like guy by the name of Brandon Spikes is going here. They they phrased it in a way that they weren't very familiar with him. Yeah, um, they also had a, a a D lineman. I cannot remember his name now, and I can't find it in my notes. He was he was he wore number six, and he was. He was jacked, and I, I got drunk one time and messaged him on Facebook talking trash after a, a loss they had. That's why the kind of person I was you, in college. Because he came out and said something about how, like, it was it was so stupid. It was, like, something about how, like, I don't remember what it was. Because I, I was, like, 19, Connor, and Facebook had just been invented, and I was like, this is what this is for. <laughs> it's, like, it's not, Chris. It's not. Wait, don't be that guy. Who is it that you trash talk uh, the Ben Roethlisberger night? I didn't trash talk him. That's how I make friends. I was I said, uh... It was Willie Cologne. Willie Cologne, that's <laughs> His right. left that's tackle. Right. I was like, I'm, I can get by you. He's like, you mm, cannot. About that. 
Riley Cooper, the Florida receiver, who was only a freshman, and at the time we did not know how problematic he was, so he did not get much airtime. Um, everybody knows kind of what happened at that Kenny Chesney concert. The video is on YouTube. Uh, go watch it if you want or don't. One of my groomsmen's wives dated him in college. Oh. Also had no idea. She was like, that is not, that's not, I'm not familiar with that. Not the best look. He went off the week after this, though. Had three touchdowns a week later against Western Carolina. So, oh, there you go. Good, good for Riley Cooper. Dan Mullen. <laughs> what a sentence. <laughs> good for Riley Cooper. That's all I want to spend on that. Dan Mullen, the Florida offensive coordinator, who's only 34 years old, and I was frustrated that we did not get more shots of That's Mullen crazy. on the sideline. We needed. I wanted to see young Mullen, who actually really hasn't aged a lot no. in the last 15 years. Looks. Same same exact human being that he was probably at this time. I always forget that he was with Meyer at Utah and Bowling Green. Yeah, I didn't know that either. I, that was like his his right hand guy. I always think of him of them just being together at Florida. But they had, I mean, he he really kind of came up with him and and you know was calling plays and doing stuff like that. And it was interesting to see because I think Mullen was calling. I don't. I think they were sharing play calling duties in this game. I was trying to figure that out. I couldn't quite get that. In terms of if it was Urban or Mullen, because sometimes it would give Mullen credit, sometimes they would give Urban credit. Wasn't yeah. sure. Well, and the fact that he was 34 in doing that. Pretty good. Like, I'm turning 34 two Tuesdays from now, and all I have is this podcast. Sean McVay's 34. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay. <laughs> Forgot about that. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, that's cool. Anyway, moving yeah. on. Charlie Strong, the Florida defensive coordinator, who was in a really unique spot because he was retained by Urban after the Ron Zook era was taken out. Urban knew him from their days at Notre Dame, which I had forgotten as well. And his defense with Charlie Strong was really, really good. That was the reason that they were able to, to win this game. Number six scoring defense in the country, and as we said, just incredibly loaded in, in the front seven and then having Reggie Nelson at mm-hmm. safety as well. But Charlie Strong, a guy who was right around this time was rumored to be getting head coaching interest and stuff like that. And eventually he was able to get it, but it took a little bit longer than it probably should have for a guy as accomplished as he was. Yeah, for real. The story arc. We had not, I don't want to say Peak Vern because Peak Vern was Georgia LSU, yeah. uh, the 2013 Mettenberger game. But we, we did have a, a couple of good lines from the booth. One from Vern that I loved. They, whenever they do the, the little cut-ins where they show Vern and Gary sitting side by side, they yeah. flip the camera and, and all that stuff, you know it's going to be something good. So Vern, in one of these you know great little you know, up-close shots, said, well, Steve Spurrier insisted us that the drama, the emotion was out of this because he had been back before. I don't believe that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. He he had he had a few in here that were that were my. We'll get to it here in a second. But like they, like every that's really the real treat is going back and, and watching this. Like Joey Molinero he he tweeted something about this the other day because somebody was like somebody made the meme that was pretty much a knockoff of what we did. But I was like, you know, I, I miss football so much. I wish that I would even watch a game with these two. It's Gary Danielson and 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 Nestler. And like I, you know, I like them fine, but like Vern and and Gary were just Vern was awesome, just anytime. And so somebody made the meme of, of Vern and, and, and Gary, and, and Joey Molinero was like, "What are you talking about, man? Any game, I would go back and watch any game with Vern Lundquist in it. Like I, I we talked about last week, I would love to watch him just broad, do a broadcast about whack a mole or how trick candles work. 
I think we have the benefit of looking back and knowing what to expect with that's Garn. true. I think watching him live sometimes you're frustrated that he doesn't <laughs> know anybody's doesn't, name. He doesn't <laughs> know as much as you would like for a play-by-play guy. But when you watch these games back, it it, it brings a smile to my face every time we get one of these great moments because yeah. they're so they're so like raw and authentic. Yeah. And you don't get that from everybody. You don't really appreciate it until you go back and watch. Not to say that Brad Nessler isn't really good at his job. He no, is. He is. Yeah. But the emotion that Vern brings to it, I I could also watch any game that he's calling. He he's almost like that. You know that meme of that kid. It's like in like the like the forest. And he's like, wow, what is this? <laughs> like that's that's him. But he, it's you know I think what solidified the Vern love for me was. Um, that story Tom Hart told, like where he's like they, he's the SC championship game weekend. He's he runs into him at like, you know, as he's heading out at like twelve o'clock at night or like eleven thirty, he's about to head home, and then Vern's like, nah, stay here and you know hang out with us and blah blah blah. Like, Vern is just he's so he's like kind of a, one of the last of that old school, kind of like the way they used to do it. Like you know like where I the era I should have lived in where you could drink on TV. You know what I mean? <laughs> the Harry Carey era, so to speak. Yeah. Gary had a good line as well in the fourth quarter. Um, I think it's going to be the same one I said. Is it? Okay, I, so I, I had the, the one where he says, I think Lawrence Wright said you're either a Gator or you're Gator bait. They're going to try to make Steve Spurrier both today. That's pretty good. Okay. Pretty good. Pretty good. So my favorite was fourth quarter drive. Um, it, it just really caught me off guard because it was like he, he's not one to – usually embellish even in the moment or get caught he doesn't moment. speak in absolutes and i know what you're gonna say yeah and he goes that's the like, so like, south carolina gets the ball goes down the field and they score with like three minutes and 47 seconds to go or something like that and they take the a lead 16 to 10 and as mike davis is running in untouched in the end zone he <laughs> gary goes they're like oh he gets in the touchdown and he goes that's the best drive i've seen in the last 10 years and i was like what in the hell are you like like he had already thought about it like had broken them all down and was like yep that's it that's number 1 put it at the top of the power rankings he said best called drive i best think called the play drive, calling. You're right. yeah, yeah best called drive in the last decade and i was like everybody said 10 years either way i was like good god i was like <laughs> okay i i get that we're you know we're speaking kindly of spurrier yeah. here and it was it was a well executed drive don't get me wrong and they knew what they were doing it was impressive in the moment but there's been a lot of drives in the last decade. A lot. Gary, just wait till you see what an on-balance line looks like. Just wait for that era. <laughs> Does Gary ever have these moments where he realizes when he says, like, on sides, it's the same as on-balanced? No. And he has this epiphany in his head. He hasn't had that yet, has he? No. It's like people that say milk. Like, <sighs> like, are you, you saying melt? Did, like, the, <sighs> the, yeah, it's the worst. The worst. Coldest take from the broadcast. It's not. Re- I don't really have a cold take from the broadcast, but I wanted to bring yeah. this up. Agreed. South Carolina rocking the Russell Athletic gear. Have to mention this. So they made the switch to Under Armour after this season. So Russell Athletic is kind of a cold take because they right. um, they they don't necessarily uh, you know last too long in college football. What was the Russell Athletic contract? You ask. It was four hundred fifty thousand dollars to cover four sports. <laughs> Here's a little bit of perspective on that. In 2010, South Carolina, so this is just four years later, our presidential term later, South Carolina signs a deal with Under Armour to cover 10 years, and it's worth $71.5 million. So, yikes. Russell Athletic phased out at the end of the 2017 season. I have a stump Marler question. Who's the other SEC team? No, 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 no. Oh, damn it. 
Which, well, do you want to name that? Do you want to go Auburn. ahead? Auburn. Auburn okay. had Russell Athletic forever. And everybody goes from Russell yep. Athletic to, to Under Armour. Who was the last Power 5 school to rock Russell Athletic? Georgia Tech. Die, you suck. I right? hate that you know that. <laughs> I hate that you know that. I'm so good at this game. You're the worst. <laughs> Dang it. I really thought I was going to slip that past you. Maybe Man. it's just because it's regional stuff. I don't know. Maybe yeah. that's why I've, I've got all these Dang. questions right today. Goodness gracious. Go ahead. If you guys all are right. if you're listening now on Sunday, this is also I'm, – I'm, like, writing peak high confidence right now because I also we, – we recorded Stump Marla earlier, and I, I killed it. Killed yeah. it. Yeah. It was like the Wonderlick all over again, unfortunately. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Did you have any? Were there any other cold takes from the broadcast? That you so I, honestly, I had I had it listed for both the the comment that Gary made. I thought it was the best mm-hmm. comment and also the dumbest comment because it was like the best call drive. I mean, like I tell you what, it, I I wrote it down here in my notes that it was it's a cold take because the best call drive I've ever seen from Steve Spurrier was the 2010 South Carolina Bama game mm-hmm. when they like all, the, the stuff that he did on that drive and you know there's a. We've just gotten so advanced now with play calling. You could honestly say anything from Joe Brady, like just like anything yeah, that LSU ever did. Um, I'm sure there's other ones with like Cam Newton, especially, and, and, and stuff like just stuff with Tebow, even like just design play calls. But I think coming out of the gates, the first scripted series, anything with Joe Brady and, and that drive from 2007, those two always really stick out to me. Wait till you see what offenses look like in the next 14 years, Gary. Yeah, they're gonna space cars. They're going to blow your freaking mind, man. The Jadavion Clowney reminder that normal people don't play this game. Okay. There's six minutes left. Florida's down 16-10. to 10. So they had gotten the ball back after this touchdown. That touchdown with the greatest drive, the, the best called drive yeah, best in the play. last decade. That, that was, there's actually still six minutes left. And it, but at the same time, it's one of these games where possessions are kind of at a premium. Right. Don't know if you're going to be able to get the ball back. Points are, are really difficult, obviously. It's third and five. Chris Leak scrambles. And on this play, he should have had a first down. It's not quite like the A.J. McCarron play where he stops short at the two-yard line and you're like, ah, man, like a mobile quarterback like Johnny Manziel would have scored. This is different. Chris Leak, 100%, should have picked up the first down. Yeah. Instead, he tenses up and he doesn't deliver the blow. And he shies away from contact and it's painfully obvious it's frustrating to watch as a neutral observer so that sets up fourth and one on their own 29 yard line what does urban do in that spot you're down 16 to 10 there's the clock is dwindling dwindling away you might not get the ball back urban's like we got to go for it i'm putting tebow in tebow go save us tebow gets a, a gets this play out of a shotgun it's like a shotgun pistol formation maybe you know like they they got two backs in the backfield And he runs like he is shot out of a cannon. He picks up this first down, drills this safety five yards after the marker, and then he shoots up and he just pumps up the crowd and it goes and he goes nuts. And the crowd just loses its mind. I watched that play three times on replay because it was so great. Connor, he did that 78 times that season. (laughs) That that right there though, that to me is the difference between Chris Leak and Tim Tebow. Yeah, I mean, well, that's one of them, but yes, I agree. I mean, like, I just, I mean, I mean that is, you, you never want to say it from a football standpoint, like, when you see, you see these guys that, like, shy up, and it could be just one moment, it could be a, like, Cam Newton, 
we've talked we've I've watched him dominate the entire landscape of college football for a full mm-hmm. season. I watched him dominate my favorite team, everyone else's favorite team. I watched we talked to his coach and was like, "Yeah, we got to give it to Cam 20 times a game because of how, you know, just how dominant that guy is." And you see in the Super Bowl he tenses up and, and pulls back instead of going after a uh, what do you call it? After, after a fumble. A, a fumble yeah. and it's like and then all of a sudden that he comes painted in that light. So it's I hate to say that about about Leak because you like, out of all things to compare him to these two aren't that comparable I guess but like God you're right that's that that like the, that's one of the reasons why everyone loved Tebow so much because yep. it, like on those short yard situations and there was it seemed like I don't know why that there were so many of them that season like like it seemed like there was a bazillion third because their one, offense wasn't fourth, that good that's that's also true but it was like 2006 Florida was just like. Les Miles came to life in just this the entire season. It, well, he already was alive. That's not a good way to put that. Yeah, but, not a good way um, that. but regardless, it, like, it, it was, I don't know why there were so many of them, but he did it all the time. And it, God, he, everyone became so enamored with him because he was so, I don't want to say this word in a bad way, he's like one of the grittiest football players and most talented football players at the same time we've ever seen. You don't see a quarterback do that. You do not see a quarterback. The way that he exploded and got to the next level and was willing to deliver that hit wasn't just going to go down after he got the first down. He's like, no, I'm going to run through you. Yeah. Vern's, Vern said after, he said, he was like a train on that play. Yep. Or, or at least a locomotive. <laughs> like, all right, all right. Thanks, thanks. thanks for clarifying. Appreciate that, Vern. The uh, Trent Richardson, I can't believe they did make it. Oh, wait, I skipped you. Did you have one for this? Which one? Oh, so uh, mine was this. Um and I, God dang it, I, I have it written down in the wrong notebook, which is not great. Um, you should just put it in, in like the, a, a document where, you know, everything is able to be found, you know? Exactly. In the fourth quarter, uh, it's like, I want to say there's like nine minutes left. The, um, the tight end for South Carolina, and he is he is not a guy that, that has, like he was a, was a white tight end that I think ran a wheel route, and he was just wide open, and he catches this ball, and as he does... He, he, like, he's like, oh my God, he's going he's gonna to go. Like, he's, he's going to score. <laughs> it's like three safeties come down to hit him. And why it stood out to me was, I think one of them was, was Reggie Nelson. Yep. And he's like these, these dudes that, like, would lay the wood on people. And they bounced off of him like they were. It, it, was, it was like watching Thanos against, like, you know, whatever in the Avengers. They just were nothing to him. And he ends up, like, stumbling at best for, like, another 15 yards. It just, it's crazy to me how tough you have to be to play football. I'm sort of thinking about it. People forget that you can't be a normal human being and play football. That guy's not like, like we talk about how like I think the actual things is the Jadavian Clowney reminder. Normal people don't play football. There's a difference between like people like Jadavian Clowney and Javon Curse and like physical freaks like that, and like that white fullback from West Virginia that used to just bang his helmet into his forehead before the games. Like what? What's that? What are you doing, sir? <laughs> And every we make note though it's so it's so unique though when we see those moments like what Chris Lee yeah. had where it's almost like you see him going back into oh I'm a normal human being and I'm looking yeah. out for my health right now right. not a football player who's doing everything possible and will literally die for this last yard yeah. just get those reminders every once in a while the Trent Richardson I can't believe they didn't make it in the NFL I don't know if there's a clear cut one for this. Some might go with Percy Harvin because he didn't necessarily live up to his potential, but I'm not going to because part of it was health-related. He was Rookie of the Year, too. But also because Percy Harvin's career isn't over yet. He's planning a comeback. Didn't you hear what? about this? No. This happened. Please come to so this came, 
This came out to this came out today. Josina Anderson reported this that Percy Harvin, they probably just found out that we were doing this. We were doing this 2006 game. Yeah. Planning a comeback feels better than ever. Still he's going to be 32 years old. So, um I, I guess we shouldn't necessarily pour dirt on the grave that is Percy Harvin's NFL career, God, even exciting. though he hasn't hasn't played since 2016 in the NFL. I hope he's, he's dude's coming that back. Long? I see. I hope. I hope Atlanta gets him, and I don't, it does nothing with him. I hope it's just like a Vince Carter thing, just like another first rounder for the Falcons. That'd be good. God, that's that is that haunts me. But anyway, yes. <laughs> Jarvis Moss is the other one that I have because. Yes, we talked about it earlier. It felt like his draft stock was inflated because of this, yeah. but was still really, really talented. I mean, 6'6", just physically imposing, 260, shredded dude, and had a really good couple years at Florida combined for 22 tackles for loss, 15 sacks in those two seasons. And the Broncos actually traded up to get him at 17. Gets off to this slow start in his career, and then he wasn't really a scheme fit in Mike Nolan, his new defense, the new regime that came in with Josh McDaniel after um, after Shanahan was out. So after year two, we find out that he's considering retirement, like right. which is still at that at that time a little bit more of an unheard of thing for a first round pick to be doing that for two years. Yeah, really weird move. But he actually stayed, kind of you know you know redeemed himself a little bit, but. Done after six years, finished his career with just 48 tackles, six sacks. So not necessarily an obvious one, but just a guy that you're like, oh, yeah, making the NFL is not an easy thing to do. And if you're not in the right place mentally, uh, it's it's not something that you can just snap your fingers and do. Right. Yeah, Did you that's fair. have? Did you have I do. So mine was the exact opposite. But I can't believe we're this similar on these again. I had Derek Harvey. Oh, I thought you were going to say Blake Mitchell. Blake <laughs> God, he was so bad. Like he just he he looks he does look like the most average average mundane quarterback of all time. Um, no, so Derek Harvey because like in the, he they had very very similar like career arcs. I want to say at, at Florida, um, but I mean like him having eleven sacks this season. Then he has almost double digit sacks the year after, and, and he he like he just seemed like the the next dude that was going to be like uh, they compared him to Javon Curse. Mm, yeah, he had eight career sacks in, in his NFL career. Just never really, I mean, did much. So that's a good one. I definitely should have that in there. I could meet Blake Mitchell fifteen times and still forget what his name is after meeting. Him hey Drake, nice times. to meet you. Hey Jake, good to see you, man. What was, what was your name again, guy? I just I can't quite pick you out of a crowd. How you doing, Greg? Good to see you, man. Thanks for bringing your guitar. <laughs> he he kind of had like the. The, the floppy look that was yeah. popular, like the shaggy blonde hair. He definitely yeah. wore a puka shell necklace, I'll tell you that much. Oh, for sure, for sure. The thing that you didn't know slash remember until rewatching this dang it. game. The same thing that thing. I forgot. Yeah, I knew, I knew we were going to have the same one for this. How average Chris Lee could be at times. There's a reason that the guy was not drafted. He was a free agent pickup by the Chicago Bears. I remember being pretty excited about that at the time. I was like, Chris Leak, the guy that just won a national championship? Sign yeah. me up. That guy That guy won a ton of games, racked up a ton of stats. Uh, he, he struggled in this game with coverages and just had some terrible habits. I mean, stuff that you're like, all right, if you don't get this as a fourth-year starter – you're you're never going to understand no. how to read defenses this this certain way. Not surprised that he didn't make it in the NFL, but I just forgot how many times I was like, "Oh, Chris Leak, just get Tebow in there, please put Tebow I, in right now." I just so I just forgot 
like I don't I'll say I, not how average he could be. I just forgot how like underwhelming his arm strength was. I mean, it was just it, like I I always remember throwing like this perfect ball. And I didn't think he had like you know a cannon by any means, but I definitely thought it was better than this because there was. I, I tell you what, I watched the before watching like the or I'm sorry, I watched the full game first, and then I watched like the the shorter one, like the 15 minute one, like it's like just going back through it. There was. <clears throat> what do you call it? There was, um, like, I want to say, it, it seemed like in a three-minute span, four or five from him and him and Mitchell combined, but mainly Chris Leak, balls that where they had a guy that had, like you said earlier, two or three steps on the defender, severely underthrown. And, and it's, it's, I just, I did not remember that at all. I did not, I, those eyes, though. God, those eyes. Could look into them forever. These eyes. Do, 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 do. <laughs> Chris Leak, though, was a good college quarterback. A yeah. good college quarterback who made some key throws. And, he, and, and, you know, I did mention earlier that he didn't pick up that fourth and one. He did have that big-time pickup where I think they gave him a generous spot on that scramble yeah. that he had late in the game. But still was a, a, at least a, a redeeming moment for him when I, I just thought watching this game back, I'm like, oh, oh, that's that's it? Like that? Yeah. You got season on the line, and this is kind of the, the effort that he's coming up yeah. with. This is uh, this is not great. I also, as a result of that, kind of forgot just that Florida was not this juggernaut yet offensively. Defensively, really, really good. Really good. But hadn't hit 30 points against an SEC team yet. And this is that, the second that is surprising. November. That's nuts. That's nuts. For a team that would go on to win the national championship, South Carolina – with not a ton of like recognizable names on that defense, not a, no. not all SEC guys contain them. Casper, Wasper. I mean, and they looked they looked pretty pretty well prepared. It was it was a struggle, and maybe part of this is the whole like trying to get the previous regime's guys to fit into the offensive system. But yeah. it looked like so many times Florida was just doing stuff that was just too cute and t- trying to go sideline to sideline or just like. Just go north south. Just go north yeah. south, and, and instead, South Carolina would blow up a play in the backfield. Then you're relying on Chris Leak to pick up a third and twelve, and that's just not going to happen. Isn't it weird that we say north and south? I, I thought it was like last year because that's like one of the things I always screamed at TVs like, "Get put your foot in the ground and get north and south." But like, you don't want to go south ever. You just like just go north, man. Come on. Going south usually not the best result. Usually no. not. When the losing team blew it. This was kind of easy. This is a little, little <laughs> too easy. A little too easy. Uh, Jarvis Moss blocking Ryan Suckup, a.k.a. Mr. Irrelevant. People forget that. Yep. Uh, blocking the extra point. When that initially happened, there's eight minutes left. South Carolina had just scored that touchdown to make it 16-10. Greatest drive in the history of football. Oh, and and eight minutes left. Um, oh, Tebow's touchdown was three minutes left. That's what I misremembered. Okay. Yes. Okay. Um, so... There was that was the eleventh blocked kick slash punt in the start of the since the start of the Urban Meyer era. Urban Meyer prides himself on special teams. Yep. Huge special teams nerd. Spends a lot of time in practice on it. Like even late in his days at Ohio State when he's still getting five star guys galore. He's like special teams, special teams, special teams. So not necessarily that surprising, but it felt in that moment like that was huge. And all of a sudden, Florida fans are like, "Wait a minute, touchdown." And we, and we win this game. Easier yeah. said than done. But that felt significant. Then, obviously, the other the other big moments. Eight seconds left. Florida's up 17-16. to 48-yard attempt for the win for South Carolina with a second-team All-SEC guy in Ryan Suckup. 
and it's Moss again. And he gets his, his big hand up there. He soared as high as he possibly could. And it was a cool scene because the swamp just goes crazy. Loses Nuts. its mind. <laughs> Unreal scene. Awesome, awesome celebration type scene. I mean, players are, are going into the hedges. Like, it's 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 cra- It's just total yeah. pandemonium, madness. And then they show Spurrier and you can kind of see Well, man, we did, our, I mean, we did our best. Spurrier does that uh, that thing where he like takes his visor off and he rubs his head a billion times and he kind of puts it back on in disgust and you felt you felt bad for Spurrier in that moment but seeing Florida celebrate like that knowing what that that win preserved very cool and Gary had this great line where he said uh, after after he sees the replay and he sees that Moss had his left hand up there he says might that be the ring finger that keeps alive a national championship prayer great line. Great yeah, that was, that was good. It's it, it always kills me like how good those guys have to be in the moment to say stuff like that. Like I feel like I, I like I've done TV stuff, and I feel like if I had to do it live, my reaction would be like, "Holy sh- y'all, did you see that? <laughs> God dang, man!" Um, yeah, that was that was that was cool. It almost so I got chills like just even like reading like you like hearing it back through you of, like the whole scene because it was. It, like, it almost felt like one of those, like it was like a win-win situation, which I know for South Carolina fans can't be easy to hear and doesn't, you know, it doesn't change the fact they lost this game. But for, like, the, the average SEC fan, what, like, this whole storyline of Spurrier going back to the Swamp and having this great game and, and coming, like, close enough to where it felt like a moral victory for that team, it was, it was, it was such a great game, man. It was such a great game. It, it, and I think it was great fourth too. quarter. Great fourth quarter. Yeah, great fourth quarter. That, yeah. Very good point. Very good point. <laughs> um, the, the thing... I should have added this in the, what I forgot about, too. Tebow coming in and kind of taking over that final drive. Yes, when he comes in after after Leak had picked up that first down, and Florida is still down 16-10, to 10, and they turn it, they get into the red, zone, the red zone, and they say, Tebow, go win us a football game. Yeah. And he has that, 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 I think, what was it, like 18-yard touchdown run, something like that? He had, but, yeah just wasn't going to be denied in that moment like that was that was tebow in a nutshell in 2006 when you wanted a a big time play you needed that burst of energy he was going to be your guy if they leave chris leak in that game at the end and say you're our senior you're our most experienced guy we're going to trust you with the season on the line i don't know if they win that game so they so they didn't they didn't trust with the season on the line because if you think about it not only the tebow touchdown the play before that is the, the the throw he missed like to the the fullback where they rolled him out to the left. That was on third down. Or that, was, third down. Uh, that was earlier in the game. No, wasn't that, was, that earlier in the game? No, it was like on the goal line. It was like right before. I thought that was earlier in the game, and they had settled for the field goal. That they they were gonna they were gonna try and go for it. I'm I'm pretty sure because you might be right. You probably are right, but yeah, they okay. And so they made up for thing, it later. Yeah. Okay. So the other thing about this is. Um, and I I mean this. I'm not saying this and trying to get caught up in the moment or sound. Like, like I'm romanticizing the, this game just because of, of the game or just because of the podcast. But I cannot genuinely thank Jarvis Moss enough for blocking this kick because what I think we fail to, to realize is if this doesn't happen, Florida doesn't win the SEC. Arkansas might win the SEC. Florida had already won the division championship okay. and was going to be playing for against Arkansas in okay, the so, SEC championship, but yeah. So the go like the way the momentum I plays like the end of the season the year before they they had like that early loss and just kind of trailed off so maybe they don't win the SEC regardless if they win the SEC and they beat Arkansas like which is they obviously did they were good enough to do 
and there's no SEC team that gets in to the, the, the national championship, that means we definitely get Ohio State and Michigan as a rematch. Yep. And we crown probably a paper national champion in the same way that we crowned a paper Heisman winner in Troy Smith. And the, the whole, I know that the, the whole SEC is king bias that, that people have, like in the South especially, isn't the greatest in the world, but it never, it never starts this season without this play in this game. That's a great point. That's a very, very good point for the yeah the what would have happened afterwards if the result was flipped. It the you could look at this from a macro perspective in a variety of ways, and that is a, a spot on I think conclusion to 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 come to knowing what was at stake in a game like this that felt so pedestrian. I mean the, yeah. the twelve and a half point favorite going in, and you just think nothing really of it for Florida. And maybe looking back, Florida fans won't appreciate this until maybe listening to a podcast like this or something. But if Florida loses this game, Suckup's kick goes in, Spurrier wins in unprecedented fashion, I think Florida fans are a little bit more conflicted, way more conflicted, actually, because you'd already lost. Urban had lost to Spurrier the year before. Mm -hmm. He starts off 0-2 against Spurrier. Spurrier wins this game and ends Florida's bid for a national championship. Doesn't play for the second national title. I mean, keep in mind, too, that I don't want to say that, that Florida, if they had just lost this game, that they would have still like had an 11-win season or something like that because we always see, and we talked yeah. about this with Ole Miss in 2014 as well, about what happens to a team when it suffers that second loss and it's no longer competing for a national championship. I'm not saying this definitely would have happened, but Florida needed its absolute best effort to get by a pesky Florida State team that year. It wasn't a great yes. Florida State team by any means, but also needed their best effort against Arkansas. If they show up not ready to go in either one of those games, yeah, I mean, they, they, they might not have won both of those games, not guaranteed that they that they would have won those. So Florida, this game just is a reminder that Florida wasn't going to be really a, a world beater in 2007 no. just because they were dealing with so much turnover. And Tebow even said, like Tebow said in his book, yeah, I knew we were not going to be that team in 2007. It wasn't going to happen. I knew that in the preseason. And you know he he had the Heisman season, of course, and he was really good. And yeah. and Mullen kind of you know Mullen I just gets knew the, that every other player on the team wasn't going to be as good as me. Like right, just kind of a weird <laughs> thing to to recognize. But all right, would have had three years into the Urban era, where if you look at 2005 and then this happening in 2006, where they wouldn't have been able to compete for a national championship, you knew they weren't going to compete for a national championship in 2007. Urban's going into year four not really having gotten Florida to that level that people were hoping. And there would have been a lot of pressure in year four. And they won a national championship that year. It was his second national championship. But I think we would have just talked about him in a in a different light because let's not forget, Ronzo got three years. Yeah. He got three years and didn't necessarily have this this awful like four or five win season or something like that. They're, they were ready to be done with him. And I'm not saying that they would have been ready to be done with Urban. They still would have kept Urban after year three. But we would have talked differently about that team going into 2008. I just I just keep this is, thinking about that that whole, like, the, the aura that Urban had built in part because yeah. of this season. This is, that's such a good point. That's, that's such a good point. Because you, you keep thinking about this. The fact that you have, you have a team that, like, 2005, when they first came in, it was like when he his first season, they they were ranked third in the country, and that October first game against Bama, they got beat thirty one to three. The one where or what do you call it? Um, Prothrow broke his leg. So 
they lose like in dramatic fashion. I understand the rest of the season didn't really pan out, you know, as a number th- like number three ranking would have suggested anyway. But then this game, having you lost to a lesser team is what I'm saying. Then this season, you're sixth in the country. South Carolina is unranked. And if you lose this game, that's another disappointment, especially that late in the season. So I think you're right. In the 2007, I still say he's one of the most talented teams maybe in the past 25 years in the SEC. From a roster standpoint, it's hard to argue that. They had five losses. So, yeah, if you get to year four, man, and you've had all of that talent, and you're you're a guy that was at Utah and Bowling Green, you're probably not going to be given the benefit of the doubt for the four. That's a great point, Connor. I'm glad we could both make it now that you said it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take credit for that. On the Spurrier side of this, if he had won that oh, game. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, the trash talk after would have been off the charts. It would have I, been incredible. It would have been the most Spurrier of Spurrier moments in a post-game press conference. Okay. Real quick. Let me, let me make sure I get this right. South Carolina beat Florida the year before. Yes. Spurrier was the coach. Yes. Spurrier beats them in the swamp. This this doesn't seem. I'm not trying to say something that's far fetched or make a joke here. How much and how quickly does the University of Florida offer Steve Spurrier a job? <laughs> back, you know, I'm dead serious. I'm dead serious. Like like how how quickly does he get offered the job back at Florida if he beats them twice? Oh man, oh man. Who's your daddy? That would have been, it would have been great, great theater. We would have had to do an adjustment more on the press conference alone. It would have oh been so God. good. It would have been I, so good. Y'all can't do anything in the state without me, so I, mean, I got to come back here. And... <laughs> the other thing with Spurrier, too, that this game showed how they were not a complete team by any yep. stretch. And it took a while to really get on that level of consistency at South Carolina. First five years at in Columbia were a grind for them. They, they would have these moments where they'd get up to, you know, they got up to the end of the top 10, I think, at one point. Uh, what was it? Maybe, like, it might have been this year, actually. They got they got really high in the rankings, then they lost those not three games in a row. It might not have been 2006. But he had some you're big right. it is early moments. Okay, it was 2006. Or maybe it was 2007, either way, but you're right. But South Carolina would always do that. And even in 2010... After you know they after they they have the Bama game and they have this this win that feels like everything is all of a sudden changing this with this program. Me off. And then they you know they lay an egg the next week and it's like that's if you're gonna do if you're gonna do that to, to Bama I mean you just at least go win the next game guys. Lost Kentucky the next week right? Christ on the cracker. Yeah that was but so that was that was kind of the story of Spurrier's first few years at South Carolina and if you win a game like this we talk about this a lot. What's the type of game that you can win for your program that's going to make us think about you in a different way? Yeah. It's Kentucky beating Florida in the swamp in 2018. Mm-hmm. It's Mississippi State going to LSU and winning that game in Death Valley in 2014. These games where you get over these long streaks and you're like, yeah, that's the Ole Miss win in 20. Who they beat in 2012? Whoever that was, they they that like kind of propelled them into the. the oh, next they're going to say the Bama game. No, it's not what I was going to say. But okay. yeah, that's a better yeah. example. That's a much better example. Yeah, like that's you're right. That's that's good. These, these games can can change how we think of a program. And Spurrier recruited well. And he actually signed the number seven class in the country in 2007. So right after this. I mean, he, he recruited a really good – well, Stephen Garcia was in that class. So obviously you knew it was going to be top ten for sure. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it really took him a bit. And I wonder if he had gotten a win like this. You get momentum going a little bit earlier. And it takes a little yep. bit less time to get that talent into your program. So, yeah, a lot of great – a lot of great what-ifs. A lot of great what sliding doors. But, God dang it, Hunter. <laughs> the draft stock for Blake Mitchell 
Oh. If they win this game, I, I bet you there's like a, a local radio station in like Lagrange that probably had that conversation at some point. It's like Blake Mitchell is a prospect, is a draft prospect, is is, is an intriguing guy. He's in, I mean he's a, he's a, not a day one guy, but he could be day eight. No, Blake Mitchell is a guy. Yeah, he's just a guy. He's um, a guy. You've sparked my interest. I'm, I'm looking at the South Carolina thing right now. Yeah, Chris same. Culliver, Stephen Garcia. Uh, I don't recognize any of these other people. But yeah, good for them. Clifton Gathers, I think that's yeah. the guy. There you go. Anyway. The player image that we'll always remember when thinking of this, I kind of already hit on it, but the mm-hmm. Spurrier nervously rubbing his his head, taking off the visor after the missed kick. That was, that, I mean, that's obvious. Of course the camera was going to was gonna show them. They didn't have that when I was looking for it. I don't think Spurrier and Urban could find each other after the game. I think they kind of got lost. In the seat, yeah, they could. <laughs> they were at a loss in a bad place. No, I think for the post-game handshake, they couldn't find each other. There, the camera didn't capture that on CBS. But if I'm not mistaken, they they were they were far apart. We didn't get that moment necessarily. But I thought Urban had another great moment after the game when Tracy Wolfson is is interviewing him and she asks, and this isn't we take this for granted. This is not always an easy question to ask a coach. And it's not always a question that gets an actual answer. Mm-hmm. Tracy asks Urban, do you deserve to be talked about in the national title hunt? And Urban says, oh, we got to get ready and keep getting better. But, of course, we do. Uh, I love that. I love that when coaches can be a little bit cocky. and yeah. Because you know Spurrier would have been plenty confident in a post-game yeah. interview there. Kind of a rare moment for Urban to get away from the coach speak and, and say something like that, knowing that a game like that and what it meant late in the season – and, and what it really was allowed to, what it what was able to, to preserve for that year. Um, I'm trying to think here. You, you saying that, I don't want to say if, but how high and firm were Urban Meyer's hands on his hips at that moment? Because every single interview he's ever done, he's got his hands on his hips. I think they were, above his, they were above his belly button. That's what I thought. Yeah, high, high. It's class it's more of a sass. rib. It's more of a rib <laughs> thing than, than a hip. High thing. sass. <laughs> we have here's a here's a trivia question for Stump Marler. Ooh, I, okay. I believe we have hit on twelve of the fourteen SEC teams in. Oh, don't ask me more. stuff about our job. You know, I don't know those answers. <laughs> Who are the two teams that we have yet to do that? I think for the next one that we do, we will we will hit on one of these teams. I think we have to. We definitely haven't done. Oh, Vanderbilt and Mississippi State. Very good. The two teams that beat Bama in the 1941 season. We will never talk about them. You said it. I was going to say it. Were you really? I'm so glad. We are. We are glad. On today. This is good. Gosh, do you want to do you want to record another podcast or something? No, not at all. I got to pee. You know that. Yes, yes, I do. (laughs) We've been recording for the last like two hours uh, doing uh, Stump Marler stuff. This is good though. I I will play Stump Marler all day because I just love trivia. Yeah, and I miss going to bars. We definitely should. So, if you're going to rewatch this game, rewatch the intro with Spurrier, and then just fast forward to the fourth For quarter. Real. Save, your, Sorry save about yourself that, guys. some time. Ooh. So, we will be back with debates down south. We are still figuring out what we are going to do for that. But uh, oh no, we actually know what we're going to do. We're going to talk. We're going to talk about the claim national championships. Oh, That's yeah. what we're going to do because we we did all the research for that. So oh, that do. is. Um, um, before we go, I do want to say there is one one name of significance from that 2007 class. Blake that really stands out. Patrick DeMarco, two-star yes. tight end. Out of what? Out of what town? Altamonte Springs. That's where I live, you idiot. Oh. <laughs>
Al Tomate. <laughs> we're gonna end it on that. I love that you just said that. That's great. Look at you. That's good. That's good. I know stuff. I know, I know stuff. stuff. This is great. Live, idiot. That was good. All right. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. You guys have a great week. Blake Mitchell, what do we need to remember? I did, I, I did my best. I did my best. It, it might be too much. Fuck you guys.